nights in the middle of winter. Oh, balloons? Amen. Uh-oh. We'll crank this down. Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's good to see all of you. It is good to see that the sun is deciding to go higher and higher as we drive here. That's nice. So today we start a new series. This series is Putting Others First. And the icebreaker question is not going to start off lighthearted. If you could only speak one last word to your family or friends, what would it be? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Multiple words. You had you had one last thing to say to him. Jesus loves you. That's about as good of a word as any. Best word you could tell him. Hopefully they know. Well, no man knows the hour. We don't know when the last time we'll be with a family or a friend. Their time might be up. Our time might be up. The world's time might be up. We don't know. We shouldn't hesitate to come forward. Our opening verse, our focus verse, is going to be Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. We have the God of this world who can do all things, knows all things, is incapable of sin and incapable of revelation. He knew. I don't understand that. I have to be taught that. It's, it's a wild concept. For all the wisest men, Elon Musk, all these men that understand things that I don't even know, they simply understand to a degree what God started to create. I don't understand mathematics at that level, but it's God who made mathematics. But when we're looking at this verse, Mark 10 starts with the children coming in verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. They weren't sick. 
They weren't demon-possessed. These parents had an understanding, I need you to bless my kids. And the disciples were, well, we have ministry to do. We're here to tend to the sick. We're here to do this. And you're just a kid. You can't follow him. You can't forsake all and take up a cross. And yet, it displeased Jesus. Because you're not seeing what's going to future in the future walk with me. I have noticed with myself as I was studying this, how I can prioritize above kids. That I can sit there and the adults are talking. And yet, in the church, the Lord says, you need to have faith like these little ones. He tells the elders of the church, teach these little ones how to walk. Teach them the precepts. And then he tells the little ones, teach them how to have faith. We need each other. If we believe in the body, then we need to believe it all the way downstairs. With what's sitting in there. The greatest teaching is not just going on here. I believe the greatest teaching is going on downstairs. But too often, children's ministry is not viewed as a calling. It's viewed as a burden that I simply do because someone has to do it. And yet, that is probably the most precious of ministries you can have because you are the one investing in the future of the church. When we sit here, we have to realize that God presented Himself to minister to others. And I was telling my wife, I love uh, Pastor Nathaniel Haney. I love that man's preaching style. He's deep. He's well-read. He's knowledgeable. He ties things together. But Kim Haney's not like that. She's not. And I don't say that in any disrespectful way. She doesn't go up there and have the ministry he has. And yet I would argue that hers is just as powerful, if not on some levels more powerful than his. Because she stood up there with an orange. And she was talking about an orange. The tree is known by its fruit. Right? We know the scripture. And she said, I opened up this orange and I bit into it and it was bitter. And she said, well, maybe it's a bad fruit. So she got another one from the same tree. Opened it up. It was bitter. Got another one. It was bitter. And she said, she went on to Google to research what caused this. 
And she said she found that in the life cycle of a tree, when it is wounded when it is young, if it endures a harsh freeze, it will kill the ability for it to produce nectar. It will still produce fruit, but it will have no sweetness to it. And she held up that orange in front of all those ladies and said, you cannot tell this by looking at it. It's when you taste it that you'll know. She says, the fruit knows and the tree knows. And she said, but what happened is not the fault of the tree. We can get into condemnation because people have gotten wounded and have gone through harshness in their life that has changed the nature of what they're able to produce out of their heart. And she said, it's not your fault, but you need to recognize you need healing. Now, she didn't get into a history book like her husband does. She didn't connect any scriptures, but the Spirit of God ministered in a powerful, powerful way because God sat there and He was ministering. And I know that it's, I was talking that children's ministry is disregarded, but I feel, I feel it's special and it's most like Jesus' ministry. Because you are taking complex subjects and giving pictures that a young mind can understand. And while I may tout myself to understand better than them, I don't understand like he does. And so when he was walking down here, everything I read him doing is a children's ministry to me. He's giving me pictures of a kingdom I can't understand and trying to give me a picture of something I do. Here, it's like a tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that you find in a field. Oh, I understand that. I've never found one, but I used to, find, I used to dig for them as kids. I draw my own map. <laughs> Nobody told me you had to bury the treasure first. <laughs> I just thought you'd go where the X was. But you know, later, I found out that God drew a map. And he tells me exactly where it's at. X marks the spot. But he didn't mark it with an X this time. He marked it with a cross. And so as we go through, we realize that God wants to impart. And he wants to minister. And he didn't come so that he would be exalted. He came so that he could help us. That's the point of the church. When we talk about, quote unquote, mega churches... Their glory is unto themselves. It's how big the production is. It's how this is. And I'm not speaking of bigger churches in our congregation. You know what I'm speaking of, where we're, you're trying to imitate 
You don't have the father of light, so you put on a light show. You don't have the Shekinah glory, get the fog machine going. What we need is something real. I have real problems. I need a real God. And the last thing I need to hear is that your problems in life will be dealt with when you no longer are walking here. Well, that doesn't help me now. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of the guy drowning and getting the high five. That's what that gospel is to me. Do great, buddy. Under the waves I went. I need a savior. Right? What we need to understand is who belongs here. Who belongs here? And so, God makes it easy. In Mark 2.17, they that are, are whole have no need of a physician. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, since we are all sitting here, let's not fall under the delusion of which category we're in. I'm not righteous, and yet I serve the God of the impossible. The God of the impossible who can do a spiritually impossible thing. He can take a sinner and turn him into a saint. You can't do that. Religion says if you just do enough works, you'll be okay. Well, I've never heard the defense in court. Well, I know I just killed like 15 people, but judge, do you see how much I give to charity? It's awesome. I've opened up my wallet and just poured out. And just be like, oh, your works are amazing. Not guilty. <laughs> never. And yet, there was one whose works matter eternally. Because of the price he paid that was not for him to owe. He did not owe a death. I did. You did. And he paid it. He came so that he could minister to me. He didn't have to come here to prove that he's so awesome he can go back up. He came because I can't. And so when I look at this, I realize he's calling us and he's calling them. And as the world becomes more sinful, does that not mean that the call should get more loud? He's calling sinners to repentance. As sin increases, should not the cry for repentance increase? Turn away. Leave this fallen world. It is becoming plainly obvious even to the world that something's wrong. We know what's wrong. We are born into a condition of sin. 
We did not choose this. But we have a Savior that can change it. We have an escape and we have a hope that the world no longer has. People are in absolute stress because their financial system is on the verge of collapse. Wars on the verge of breaking out. The deception is just running amok to where even the worldly people are like, well, well wait a minute. Even they're digging their heels in. And yet Jesus says, when you see these things come to pass, it's time to lift up your eyes. I don't care which news you subscribe to. I really don't. Because I will tell you that they peddle the same thing. They peddle division. It's us versus them. If you go to the right, it's us versus them. You go to the left, it's us versus them. The church should never adopt that mentality. It is not us versus them. It's us. Because I was one of them. You were one of them. If God's only calling the righteous, I hate to break it to you. This place is going to be empty. I don't have righteousness of my own. I only have His. I know that it's awesome that Jesus can walk in here anytime He wants. I think it's amazing I'm allowed to walk in here. And beyond being a sinner, I'm a Gentile. And yet, the American church has gotten to a place that not, not us, I, and if it's us, then, you know, then the Lord correct us. But it's gotten to a place of speaking self-righteousness. Rather than His righteousness. And yet Jude, in verse 23, tells us, that we should hate the garment spotted by the flesh when we're pulling them out of the fire. But then Isaiah says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. The NET translates this, your righteousness is as a used menstrual cycle pad. In case, right, in case you were wondering what he meant by filthy. And here's what's amazing by it. Is that the self-righteous don't realize that they're walking in the same filth as sin. I'm better than you. <laughs> Sorry to break it to you. No, you're not. No, I'm not. Because everything I have is predicated on the fact that I have Him. I know that Paul says, I forget the things of the former. But I keep it in the back of my head to realize what waits with me. It waits for me if I ever stop walking with Him. This man only exists while he abides in Him. 
The moment I stop, that old man is more than willing to start walking again. Everything I did and worse. Because now, what are you going to tell me? What, Jesus is real? Yeah, I know. You should come to church? Yeah, I know. I put myself in a worse position. But who belongs? All of us. All of us. But church, if God's calling the sinner, the sinner should not feel like he belongs more at a bar than he does in a pew. When you come in here, this is where you belong. Pull up a seat. Sinners belong in the house of God and your sin belongs in the baptism. He made it just for you. He gave you a seat for you and he gave the grave for the enemy. Let it be swallowed up. Let them be swallowed up. Be washed. This is for us. God came for us. And yet, I see that there's this thing that happens that God says, I need you to minister to people. If you wish to be the greatest, be the least. And we don't understand. I don't understand. That's something that takes me dying to my flesh to get a hold of. Because you can tell flesh is arising because the hierarchy is supposed to be like this. The greatest is the least and the lowest. If you're the lowest, don't be surprised that people step on you. That's going to happen. But you also have to realize the blessing of your position. Because he says this house is built on the rock. You being the lowest, you are the one that's closest to connect. So that you can get strength off of what I'm touching. So you can build up. When flesh comes in, it looks just like Egypt. Here comes the pyramid. Hierarchy's going up. You can tell. I am this. Well, great. Serve me. Right? I mean, would any of you be so bold to say that to Brother Bernard? Serve me. <laughs> nope. But that's why your position. Now, for me to do that, that's pride. For him to do that, that's humility. For me to demand your service, that's because I am on a selfish mindset. And when I think it's all about me, I can miss some things. In Luke 15, we, we read of the two sons. And one asks, 
Father, I want all that you have for me. And then I'm going to go out of the house and I'm going to use it. Now, there is such a danger of God, give me, give me, give me, so that I can do as I please. For all the talk and all the be wary of the devil, God says, only fear me. What he can give you can destroy you quicker than anything the devil can do if you're willing to use it in your will rather than his. You don't hand my five-year-old the keys to a Ferrari. We may get a little look-alike from Walmart, but you don't give him the real thing. You teach him to drive first. Because what I intended to be a gift will bring you to your death and destruction if I don't teach you how to handle this. So the son says, give. And he goes out and he wastes it with riotous living, living it up. As the world would say, living his best life until it's not. And it says that there arose a mighty famine. Now, I tend to see this as the blessing. Not everything that hurts is a curse. Some things are hurting to bring revelation. He didn't recognize where he was. He didn't recognize how desperate his situation was. It wasn't until the famine pruned all the so-called friends away, pruned all the dead weight away, until you had nothing, and you're eating with the pigs, and the man that you're working for won't even give you his trash to eat. Because that's what you feed pigs is the leftovers. I won't even let you eat from my trash can. And here is something that happened that is more tragic than the inheritance that he lost. Everything he gained in money, everything he gained in possession... He said to himself, I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Who told you that? Who told you that? And he comes back saying, Oh, well, if I could just be a servant. And he comes to the father and the father sees him afar off. It doesn't say the son saw him. Because the father's sight exceeds your own. And I believe the father started his march towards his kid the moment he lifted his head back home. We only recognize when a sinner walks in through the doors. God recognized when he left the doors of his house. 
When the eyes turned to him, the father started running to make sure he makes it here. And then the father does something amazing. He grabs him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He weeps on him. This man did not have a shower. He came from the filth of the pigsty. But I'm not going to wait for you to get cleaned up to celebrate your presence. And he said, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he, <laughs> he looks at his servant and he says, go get him a new garment. Go get him a ring. This is my boy. He's back now. And he said, go kill the fatted calf. Church, as much as I will celebrate somebody stepping into ministry and getting a license... We need to learn to celebrate when a sinner walks through the door. It says all of heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. How are we going to call ourselves the church of the living God if we're in two different atmospheres and we're not on the same page? All of heaven's dancing that they walked in. Why aren't we? Oh, because you haven't gone through the full salvation plan? They're one step closer than they were yesterday. At least you're here. You belong here. I know I'm getting fired up. It's teaching. Sorry. But, sorry. But, uh, um, here comes the brother. His language has changed. He no longer calls him his brother. He addresses him as this son of yours. I have severed my personal relationship with you. Can somebody explain to me what the brother did to him? Who gave you the right to be offended with what you did against what the father gave? Well, they, they sit here and it's like when they come in, we should be hugging on them. I'm so happy to see you. Instead of an attitude, well, we'll see how long this lasts. Well, with that attitude, not long. It ain't going to be planted here. <laughs> Sorry. It ain't going to do that. Because church, we need to realize if we can accept that the roaring lion is out there, if somebody, if somebody who was hurt, who had it in them, that got a twist, a deception, and they walked out, do you realize what kind of humility it takes to walk back in here? Do you realize what has been tearing at them? Can you not see the wounds? Can you not see that they are so injured they rather face humiliation than the morning out there? They need some type of reprieve. And it's the only place that they found to get it. I'm going to rejoice that you're back. 
And then, oh, why, why are you killing the fatted calf? Why don't you go see your brother and ask that? You haven't seen him. He just came out of the pig's pen from a famine. What condition do you think he's walking to the father's house in? I guarantee you I can, care, I can count every rib and every spinal bone. You don't think the father felt that in the embrace? Get that fatted calf. We need to get him fed. And don't you realize how great it is when somebody comes in because the father's about ready to provide some meat for us to celebrate in this house, all of us, so that we can eat and rejoice. He's been raising something, growing something in heaven that is released because they walked in. Not because we did, they did. And all of a sudden we get access to what we've been praying for. And the worst tragedy is the brother sat there Offended. Hating on his brother. And here's the worst part. All he did never stopped the brother from going in his house. Never stopped the brother from going in where the father was. It stopped him. He sat right outside. Right outside the gate. Can you imagine sitting at the gate of heaven... Pointing your finger, saying, well, they shouldn't go in. They shouldn't go in. They shouldn't go in and realize you're the only one not. Everybody talks about God being the judge. Only God can judge me. Do you realize that Satan's your prosecutor? He's the one that's accusing you. And God says, come to me. I paid every." every offense, everything. And here's the thing, church, is the world is so convinced of the devil and have no faith in God that they believe they belong in hell. Oh, when I get to hell, it's going to be a party. All my friends are going to be there. Excuse me? I don't think you got a good picture of what hell is. And what kind of deception can be sold that you think that's where you should go? You belong here. You belong here. You belong with Him. He made you. He created you for His good pleasure. So that He could have you eternally. This riotous living, that's nonsense. I don't know if any of you were in the world and you listened to worldly music. But rock and roll and heavy metal, that was my thing. Ain't anymore. But there was a band when I was growing up as a kid named Motley Crue. Right? See? We got a chuckle of confirmation. I'm not even going to, we're just going to leave it. <laughs> but we all know the same sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
Nobody, nobody dedicated themselves to this mantra more than they did. Debaucherous. On record saying that the manager of the band, he managed all these famous rock stars. He said, nothing prepared me for what they were about to do. Nothing. They were out of control. And they released an album called Dr. Feel Good. And that thing went to the number one. They went on a two-year world tour, nonstop. They are on top of the world, as much excess as they can possibly have. And they are doing anything and everything they can. And yet the singer, at the height of his success, is married and has a daughter. And that daughter has a tummy ache. And so they take her into the doctor because it won't go away. They run tests and they come out and they're saying, I'm sorry to inform you. Your daughter has kidney cancer. And it is metastasized into her stomach and into her spine. We need to be aggressive about this. In four weeks, they did five surgeries and he buried his daughter. The man had everything, literally everything. Anything you can want, he has it. And yet the one thing he would give anything to have back, he can't buy it. His house is filled with the finest furniture. His closets are filled with the finest clothes. And yet his daughter's room is empty. And that man went on a two-year depression of nearly killing himself because when he was on top of the world, he had the world and he would have given the world to have his daughter. And people wonder, why would Jesus go to the cross? Because the Father came because what was missing from his house. He had the ability to pay, and he paid it all. He paid with every drop. He paid with his name. He paid with his body. He paid with his spirit, anything he could, because he knew this is nothing without my children. And you're going to honestly look me in the eye and tell me you don't belong here. You don't know your value. But church, if we truly, truly understand the value of his sacrifice, then we need to understand when scripture says he died for us all. He paid it for them. Don't just rejoice when they're in the baptismal. Rejoice on the walk to it because he paid it for them. He paid it for me before I ever gave one praise. While I was yet an enemy, this is what he did. Because the world tried to convince me, you are nothing. And God finally found me and said, you belong with me. Amen. Well, we're going to have worship. And I know it's worship. <laughs> 
We're going to give praise unto the Lord. Make sure you fellowship with one another and get ready to give glory to his name. Amen.